Okay, uh, today is August the 24th, 2010, and we'll prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for providing for all our needs, for giving us hope, that confident assurance, that sense of eternal destiny. Because of your faithfulness and your grace, we can look with optimism towards the future, even though we live in the devil's world and things are crumbling around us. We have your word. And we have your grace. So we thank you for that. Pray that you'll help us to concentrate this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Last time we got out on a portion of the word that deals with why we as church age believers are believers of the day, we're sons of light, sons of day, and that we will be part of the light portion of the broad day of the Lord, but not of the dark portion, which is the uh, first part, which is going to last seven years. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and that's what we've been concentrating on, is the difference between the darkness and the light, the day and the night, comparing believers with unbelievers and what we can look forward to. And so I I started out telling you about why there are people who get mixed up and think that we as believers are going to be uh, going through the darkness, that we're going to be part of the night and so forth. And we got off onto a celestial... Uh, disturbances, and I said I was going to pick that up and explain more about it, uh, which would be tonight, Tuesday. But before we do that, what I want you to do is open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're just going to get some basic fundamental keys that are necessary for you to understand before you can understand the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to turn to any particular scripture yet, but I just want you to get, just hear this and get the feel for some of the layout with regards to the book of Revelation. There are some people who think that no one can understand the book of Revelation. It is so um, profound that they are confounded uh, by the symbolism and by the things of it, but there's no reason to... Uh, be distressed because you can understand it, but having a few keys will help. First of all, the book of Revelation has a lot to do with sevens. When you go to the uh, chapter uh, 3 of Revelation, actually you start in in chapter 2, you're going to find that there are messages to seven churches. So you have seven churches, 
You have seven seal judgments. You have seven trumpet judgments. And you have seven bowl or vile judgments. So you can see seven, seven, sevens all around the place are sevens. The messages to the church, to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, of course, is referring to uh, church age believers, local churches, while they are yet on earth. By the time you get to verse 4, or not, excuse me, not verse 4, but chapter 4, the whole environment changes. No longer is it on earth, but it's, you're seeing what it's like in heaven, and it's giving a description of uh, the throne in heaven. And you have chapter 4 and chapter 5 having a lot to do with what's taking place in heaven. There you have the importance of Jesus Christ opening the scroll, which is essentially the title deed to planet earth, has seven seals on it. And we've already gone through that in some detail. And then we get to chapter 6. Now, at chapter 6, things start to change again quite dramatically. And you have the opening of the first seal. You've been prepared for what this seal is all about in chapter 5. And it's Jesus Christ who is breaking the seals. There's seven seals. You all understand what I'm talking about when I say a seal. It's like a... Um, it, it's like... A, Pouring wax or something on the, on the letter. Oh. How's that? That better? Okay. Um, even today, they, some people still do it. You, you have a letter and you drop a little hot wax on it and put a, a stamp on it and it seals it. It secures it. That's the purpose of it. And so the imagery that we have in chapter 6, when Jesus Christ starts tearing those, those seals off one at a time. Each time he does that, it looses it, it judgment, essentially, on planet Earth. And I, I won't be redundant in going in again how this is uh, incrementally removing Satan who has usurped the uh, tenant. He's a a tenant on earth, but he's not the proper tenant. He's possessed earth, and he has to be removed. And the seal breaks it breaks the uh, the secure part on the scroll. The scroll is showing the legal right of Jesus Christ to come back and take over the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. And so you, you, the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've already gone over this also. You, you have the white horse, the red horse. Uh, then you have the, the, the third horse is, uh, what color is he, black? Yeah, the black horse. And then you have the ashen, pale-looking horse, which is the fourth one, uh, which is um, death, pestilence, famine, all these things. So by the time you get to the sixth seal, the fifth seal, by the way, is martyrdom. By the time you get to the sixth seal, and if you will go with me to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, 
something happens, something is, is changed here. This is where I'm going to go in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit to describe how the celestial disturbances of chapter 6 throws people off. But before I get to that in detail, I'm going to continue giving you keys as to how to interpret Revelation chapter, uh, well, just the book of Revelation. When you get to chapter 7, I want you to, where it says, after this, I saw four angels standing. Put a parenthesis right there. That would be like a moon that is waning. It's like a smile looking towards the, towards the Scripture. You know, it's like this. That's an open parenthesis right there. Because chapter 7 is a parenthesis. So put a parenthesis, the open part, right at chapter 7 when it first begins. Go to verse 17. At the very end of that, close the parentheses. And if you want to, you can, you can write a little note there that uh, this chapter is a parenthesis. And this is standard Hebrew technique. They would give you information that takes place, and then, in a parenthetical way, they would go back and fill in the gaps. They would give you more details as to what happened. You understand what I'm telling you? In chapter 5 and 6, it gives you information. Then chapter 7 is parenthetical, and they fill in details that were not given prior to that. Then, you start in verse, well, chapter 8, the, the seventh seal uh, is opened. And what you're going to find out is when you get to the seventh seal, now, you have to understand this. What the seventh seal is, is the opening of the seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet is the opening of the seven vials, or the seven bowl judgments. So when, you, when the seventh seal is opened, it means the whole scroll is opened, where you can view everything. So the seventh seal opens up the seventh, seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens up the seven bowl judgments. You understand that now? Okay. And when you get to chapter 8, look at chapter 8, verse 1. This is after the... See, you have six sealed judgments in chapter 6. Then chapter 7 is parenthetical. It gives you more information. And then you get to verse 1 of chapter 8. And when he broke the seventh seal. So when he breaks the seventh seal, that opens up the trumpet judgments. And then you see in verse 7, you have uh, the first trumpet. And each time a trumpet is blown, it's another judgment. And it's comparable to every time there was a seal broken, judgment came. Every time there's a trumpet sounded, judgment comes. 
And by the time you get to the bowl judgment, every time a bowl is poured out, it's like wrath being poured out on the earth, uh, every, every bowl is another judgment. You understand what's happening here? This whole thing is about judgment upon the earth. And you remember why, the per- why is Christ doing this? Why is God pouring out wrath on the earth? Well, it's because of several reasons. One reason is because he is going to take the control of the Gentiles that have been over Jerusalem all these, you know, millennium, millennials, what, millenniums, uh, and he's going, to, he's going to take it back. These are unbelievers that are Christ rejectors, and they are on Satan's team. And he is the kinsman's redeemer that's going to come back. He has the legal right to planet earth because he purchased it with his blood on the cross. Remember Satan, I mean, excuse me, Adam lost it. And the way Christ got it back by uh, paying the price, which was his <clears throat> spiritual death on the cross. But he didn't take possession right away. He went away. He's been gone for 2,000 years. He's going to come back. And when he does, he's going to break the seals. And then he's, the, the judgment is going to start coming on planet earth incrementally. In other parts of Scripture, it talks about the birth pangs are going to start. And then it's going to come upon them uh, unexpectedly. When they're saying peace and safety, wham, the birth pangs are going to start. And the birth pangs are going to continue from the first seal, from the very beginning of the tribulational period. It's going to last seven years. And at the halfway point, which kind of is a marker, the abomination of desolation. I wish I could put all the things together that are happening there, but if I did, you'd forget about me giving you keys and we'd get off on rabbit trails. So much is going to happen in that first three and a half years. The ecumenical religion is going to be functioning until the Antichrist goes into the temple, abomination of desolation, the Bible says that then the woman that rides the beast, some say it's the whore that rides the beast, is false religion. And that's, you see that in Daniel. You can go to Daniel and get the pieces that fit right into Revelation. And at first you have the woman riding the beast, which is indicative of ecumenical worldwide religion. The woman is in charge. But by the time you get the... Uh, Daniel, I mean, uh, to uh, the abomination of desolation, it changes. Now there's a figure of a beast that has ten horns but no woman on it. This is when Christ, I mean, when, excuse me, Satan goes into the temple and decide, uh, declares that he is God and he's going to burn that ecumenical church with fire. Literally, I think that there are going to be uh, churches that are going to be burned. This is the, the universal church. And then everything changes. Now you have to worship Satan. But everything that happens for the next three and a half years is still in line with the judgments that are taking place. In other words, it starts with the birth pangs, with the first seal, and it's going to end with the seventh bowl judgment. All this in between has been birth pangs that are getting sharper and sharper by the time you get to the midpoint it's severe labor pains, and by the time you get to the uh, seventh bowl judgment, it is crunch time. And this is when 
the kingdom of God is going to be delivered. You get the imagery there. So you have the uh, eighth and uh, uh, chapter eight and chapter nine is talking about uh, trumpet judgments. And then when you get to chapter 10, go to chapter 10. And again, there at the start of chapter 10, put an put a parenthesis on the first verse. Where it says, after I saw uh, and, uh, and I saw. Just put that open parenthesis. Because, see, you'll notice that at verse 13 of Revelation chapter 9, you've got the sixth trumpet. That's the judgment that takes place. But we're not going to get to the seventh trumpet for a while because we have a parenthesis. And I want you to go all the way to the 14th verse of chapter 11. And at the 14th verse of chapter 11, close the parenthesis. And then you'll notice, starting with verse 15, you have the seventh trumpet. Remember chapter 9 ended with the sixth trumpet, starting at verse 13 to 21. That's the sixth trumpet. Then you have all of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11 up to 14. Verse 14 is a parenthesis. You want to close that parenthesis. Now it's going to continue with the seventh trumpet. Am I going too fast? Y'all sticking with me here? Now, this is what this is where you could get off. This is unless you understand what's going on. When you read, we're at the seventh trumpet. We haven't even started the bowl judgments yet. Remember, the seventh trumpet actually opens the, 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 the sixth bowl judgment. But there's still a lot to, to, that's going to take place. But starting with verse 15, which is the opening of the seventh trumpet, watch what happens here. Follow with me. And the seventh angels, angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has come. Has, excuse me. The kingdom, king, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord, O Lord God, the Almighty, who art and who was, because Thou hast taken Thy great power and hast begun to reign. Now let's stop there and just say, what's going on here? We've still got a lot of lot in the book of Revelation, and this sounds like Christ has taken over. The millennium is about to start. Doesn't that sound like what is happening here? Keep keep going, verse eighteen. And then the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to thy bond servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear. Who fear thy name, the small and the great, and uh, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like it's talking about the great right throne judgment. I mean, this thing is coming to a halt, isn't it? Isn't that what it looks like in chapter 11? And we've got, what, eight more chapters before we even get to chapter 19 
where it talks about Christ returning. So you, you see how you can start reading here and thinking, now I'm really getting mixed up. What are we doing in chapter 11? We're talking about the end. Well, keep following. Verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and earthquakes and a great hailstorm. So if you're thinking, is this talking about the end? And the answer is yes. It, it is what it sounds like it is. It's describing more or less Jesus Christ returning and setting things straight. His millennial kingdom is about to, is, is about to begin. However, when you start verse uh, chapter 12, it's completely different than everything up to this point. Remember the scroll that we looked at before was written on the inside and it was written on the outside also? There were signatures made on, even on the outside. Well, what it, looks, what it appears that's happening here is by the time the seventh seal is opened, everything is exposed. And it's talking about these judgments up to this point and what's happened. Now it appears that the scroll is turned over and now we're going to see it from a completely different perspective. You understand what I'm telling you? Because look what verse, uh, chapter 12, it says, And a great sign appeared in the heavens, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head, a crown of 12 stars. And it goes on. And what you find out is you start getting the perspective now of Israel during the tribulation. It's completely different perspective of what has happened up to this point. It talked about war being in heaven and war on earth. And then in chapter 13, you have, uh, it starts describing the beast and the prophet and the false prophet by verse 11 of 13. You're getting a lot of information that you didn't get before, but it's from a completely different uh, perspective. Who do you think? And the great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and moon uh, and under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven. What do you think that is? That's talking about Satan, and when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. This is talk. The woman is Israel. And it's talking about Satan trying to devour the child. See, this whole thing is Jewish perspective now. Completely different than what we've had up to verse 11. I mean, excuse me, uh, chapter 11. By the time you finish chapter 11, it's kind of summing things up. It's not giving you details, but it's just giving you so much information. And then chapter 12, it's a whole other viewpoint, this time from Israel's perspective. So you go from chapter 12 and 13, you get information about the beast and the false prophet and so forth. And then chapter 14, 
you have another parenthesis. So at the beginning of chapter 14, you want to start with a parenthesis there, you know, an open parenthesis. And you go all the way to verse 20, which is the end of chapter 14. You want to close the parenthesis. 14. See, again, you have a couple of chapters here. Starting with chapter 12, it's like another whole perspective completely, this time from the Jewish perspective. And you have chapter 12 and you have chapter 13 gives you information. And then parenthesis is going to give you more information. Just like we had over in chapter uh, 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 5 and 6 gave you a lot of information. And then the next thing you know, there was a parenthesis to fill in the gaps. Now you have 12 and 13 giving you information from the Jewish perspective. And then you have chapter 14 that is a parenthesis to fill in the gaps. This is the Jewish uh, style. This is the way they, they, they would write. At the end of chapter uh, 14, which is verse 20. The end of chapter uh, 14, verse 20, you want to close that parenthesis. <clears throat> the whole chapter is parenthetical. And then you start chapter uh, 15. And this is the prelude to the bold judgments. Remember, there's still all those bold judgments left. In chapter 16, you have the first bold judgment. And you look at that and you go in chapter 16 and you get all the way to the... Seventh bowl destruction. You have the sixth bowl, which we'll look at after a while, is important. And the seventh bowl, the seventh bowl is the the final whammy. Then starting in in chapter 17, you have a description of religious Babylon. This is the woman that rides the beast that I told you about earlier. There's so much here. I could take just any of these chapters and spend a month on it. There's so many details there. But we have to keep our focus here. And so you have chapter 17 and chapter 18 is the judgment and and, uh, what this... Babylon is all about. And then by the time you come to Revelation 19, Revelation 19 is when it all comes to a climax. Chapter 19 is, uh, the first part talks about the preparation of, in verses 7 and 8 and 9, you have the bride, which here is the bride of Christ, making herself ready. And you have the, the for the wedding.
And you have the marriage supper that's going to take place in heaven. This is all comes up to verse 10. And then starting with verse 11 is when the actual second advent occurs. Chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, well, actually all the way to uh, the time you get to chapter 20, is essentially what we saw happening in chapter 11. Remember chapter 11? It looks like it's all coming to an end there. Remember that? It's, all, it's, it's culminating. And then chapter 12, it changes completely. It's just like if it was a play, the curtain would come come up, and then when the curtain opens, it's a completely different scene. But now you have more detail about what's going to happen at the culmination when Jesus Christ actually comes. It gives a description of uh, what he's like and uh, starting with verse 17 to the, through 21, you have actually um, the battle of Armageddon. This is going to be the climax. It's going to be so bad that it's going to... That finally, by the time you get to Armageddon, if Christ did not return and save the Jews, they would be annihilated, which would mean God is not God because he didn't keep his promises to them. It's that close. Yes, Elizabeth. Uh, no, I meant verse 17. I'm in chapter 19 right now. I'm in chapter 19. And, and 19 is, is giving you kind of a fill-in um, while um, the, the, the preparation for the church that would be the bride of Christ, that would be us, is going to return with Jesus at the second advent. It just gives you some preparation. The wedding supper, all these things are going to uh, take place. Marriage supper. And then starting with verse 11, you actually have Christ coming down and describes him. And then starting with verse 17 to 21, you have actual the battle of Armageddon was going to take place, which will, will end it. That is when at the battle of Armageddon, after Christ defeats Satan, when Christ returns, he's going to toss Satan off of planet Earth into the great abyss. He is going to defeat all the armies that have been amassed there to do war with him. And at that point is when he is going to uh, get ready for his millennial reign. There's a few loose ends. There has to be a lot of dead that are going to be, <laughs> that's going to take uh, seven months to bury and so forth. This is kind of a panoramic view so that if, when you understand these keys, then you can read Revelation a little bit more intelligently and not get completely confused. So let's go back to the very beginning, and I'm going to go through that one more time so you can check what you wrote down. Remember that it's about seven, about sevens, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowl judgments. And chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation deals with the seven churches. Especially in chapter 2 and 3 is where we find out so many of the rewards that we're going to receive are found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. To the one who has 
an ear. The one has ears to hear and so forth. This was to the, the positive ones. Then in chapter 4, the chain changes completely. Now we're in heaven looking at the throne of heaven. This is where, remember when we looked at the 24 elders? And we, we nailed down the 24 elders according to their description can be none other than church age believers. But they're in heaven at this point in time. Chapter 5 starts talking about the scroll. Remember all the information we went to about the scroll. Chapter 6 actually starts the sealed judgments. That's the point of the beginning of the birth pangs. Uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 1 and 2, we see the revelation of the Antichrist. He is revealed. By this time, you already have to have the contract signed with Israel for seven years of peace. That's why by the time you get to... Um, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, when they're saying peace and safety, it's because they have bought the idea that the Antichrist has got it under control. And then chapter 7, the whole thing is a parenthesis. Chapter 8, you start the seventh seal is opened, which opens the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens the, eight, the, the seven um Bold judgments. So you have chapter 8 and 9. Then at chapter 10 is a parenthesis all the way to chapter 11, verse 14. Then you pick up the sixth trumpet again. I'm excuse me, the seventh trumpet. We ended on the sixth trumpet. See all that? He, he talks up to the sixth trumpet, and then he says, okay, I'm going to fill in the gap. There's a parenthesis. He talks about that. Then he goes on with the seventh trumpet in verse 15 of chapter 11. It all seems to culminate by the time you get to verse 19. Then chapter 12 starts a whole new perspective. This time it's talking about the Jews and there's instruction. Everything relates to the, the, the Jews here. Chapter 14 then is a parenthesis. Just all of chapter 14. You end it with chapter 14 verse 20 and close the parenthesis. Then he's going to go on with the bold judgments in chapter 15 and 16. By the time you get to the end of uh, chapter 16, you have the, starting with verse 17, you have the seventh, seventh bowl, which is a widespread destruction and so forth. Then it changes gears again and it starts talking about religious Babylon and it's actually... Uh, talking about things that are going to be happening during this, this time. Until you get to chapter 19, that's when you have the preparation of the bride, the marriage supper, to get ready to come back with Christ at the second advent. And you have the second advent and Armageddon in the rest of chapter 19. Then, of course, you have Satan bound in chapter 20. Then starting with, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 4 through, you, you have all this about uh, dealing with Satan and his, uh, you're going to have Satan loosed at the very end of the, millennial period, 
called the Gog Revolution. This is what all, this is dealing with this. And then uh, by the time you get to chapter 11, you have the great white throne judgment. That's the end at the end of human history where all unbelievers are going to be judged according to their works. This is the last part of chapter 20. You get into chapter 21 and you have now this says the eternal state. Uh, maybe so. <laughs> it, it, it could be uh, another dispensation, but we won't go into that right now. Um, and the descent of the New Jerusalem. See, it appears that the New Jerusalem, remember when in John chapter 14, Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again to receive you in my Father's house for many months. This is the New Jerusalem. But it's not going to come on earth yet because the, you still have the, uh, all the sin and so forth that takes place. We know that in Second Peter that the current earth, uh, heavens and earth are going to be destroyed and new heavens and earth are going to um, occur. I think this is what's going to happen when the, when the new Jerusalem descends on earth. And you have the description of the new Jerusalem uh, is described. Uh, chapter 22, you have more about the uh, new Jerusalem and the last... Four verses are warning not to add to the book. So you have a, a very a very brief rundown on what Reve the book of Revelation is about. And the reason you need to know this is because if I'm going to train you or teach you with regards to why we believe that the rapture occurs before the tribulation even begins... You have to have kind of an idea, at least in Revelation, about what all this uh, is talking about. Most of the book, from, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19, you're dealing with a seven-year period. That's a lot of chapters to deal with such a short period of time. But there is a lot that goes on. It's just like in the Gospels, you cover a whole lot of ground, but when you get to the point to where the upper room discourse and you have Jesus Christ talking to the disciples and uh, just a, over a very short period of time, but it takes many chapters to deal with it because you have to slow down and give all the details because these are very in, uh, crucial times. And, and this is what's happening with regards to the, the tribulation. There's so much that's going on. And I've heard people say, well, we're not going to be in here anyway. What difference does it make? And I'm thinking, well, I even somebody told me one time, well, I don't even know why we have the book of Revelation. Because most of it, we're not even going to be here, so what, what does it matter? And I said, you know, you're right. I mean, what do we need to, why do we need to know about the great white throne judgment, what's going to happen to all unbelievers? We, we don't really need to know that, do we? We don't need to know about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Uh, we don't need to know about the great rewards that are given in chapters 2 and 3. I, I was saying that tongue-in-cheek, of course. All this is very important. And with this background, you're, now you're ready to at least start understanding why people get off and think, that church-age believers are going to go through the dark phase of the day of the Lord. 
And I'm saying we're not. And we have to, we have to start at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 6. Or is it 16? Let me go. Let's, I think it's 16. Let's go. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. Yeah. It starts with, uh, in chapter 6, verse 12. Now, <clears throat> I just have, uh, with the time remaining, I just have enough time to whet, whet your appetite a bit. But at least it will show you how people that are well-meaning can get confused. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6 starts talking about the celestial disturbances. This is the, what the sixth seal is about. Chapter 6, verse 12. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, it's Jesus Christ. Remember, every time he breaks a seal, what's written in there? Judgment for the earth, for these rebellious Christ rejectors. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and wool, and the, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig trees cast off unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split like a scroll. <coughs> Excuse me. When it rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. I can go into verse uh, 15, but I'm going to save that for right now. So these are great... Celestial disturbances. But I want you to note particularly that it says that it became black. The sun became black as sackcloth. And the whole moon became like blood and the stars fell. These are three things that are going to be common in these other scriptures that I go to. Celestial disturbances that are similar to this. Sun turns black. The moon turns red, and the stars fall from their place. You got that? There's more, but I mean, those are the three main ones. Now, go to Joel chapter 3. Y'all know where Joel is? Was not in the New Testament. <laughs> Just go back there where the minor prophets are, what they call minor prophets, and start scrolling. I'll give you time. Okay, we'll just start with Joel chapter 3, verse 1. Follow with me. For behold, in those days, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Now let's stop there. Just say, what is, When is God going to do that? When is He going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem? When is that going to take place? Yeah, second advent. 
the, the Jerusalem is going to be treading, tread down by the Gentiles until Jesus Christ comes and kicks their butt. Excuse me. Uh, that's what's going to happen at the second advent. He's going to, baptism of fire, they are going to be toast. And that's when the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem are going to be restored. And not before. You know, when I think about it, people have great hope about peace treaties in the Mideast. And I just grin and say, well, <laughs> there's not going to be peace in the Mideast until Jesus Christ restores the fortune, the treasures of Judah and Jerusalem. And that's going to be at the second advent. Verse 2, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nation and have divided, divided up my land. When you go to Revelation chapter 19 and it describes Jesus Christ coming back, he has eyes like fire. He is angry. He has been storing up his wrath. And that's what this is talking about. So you understand the time frame of this. Is that the second advent, right? That's what I want you to get. Definitely second advent. And it's when all the nations are going to be gathered together. God's really the one that's gathering them together there. So he can take care of them at one shot. Now, drop down to verse 15. Or let's say... Um, 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's talking about all the armies that have amassed in Armageddon. They're, going to, they're trying to annihilate Israel. What day of the Lord is this, narrow or broad? Narrow. No, it's narrow. This is the day of the Lord. Remember, you have the broad day of the Lord that lasts 1,007 years. Then you have, in a couple of verses, this is one of them where you have the narrow view, which is actually the day. And it's near when all the armies are gathered gather around. Then look at verse 15. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness as the Lord roars from Zion. So there, I'm, verse 15, circle that or something. See, there are celestial disturbances that are parallel, or at least they are similar to what we saw in Revelation 6, verse 12, 13. And what I'm showing you here is that what takes place at the sixth seal, those disturbances, are not what we find here. Because it's a different time. The sixth seal is not the second advent. This, because there's other seals, there's, there's several other celestial disturbances that take place. There's not just one that is for all, of, all the celestial disturbances that look similar. Just because they're similar doesn't mean they all refer to the second advent. 
You don't have the armies amassing at the sixth seal. In fact, what we're going to find out, I'll just tell you now, at the sixth seal, we stopped. I didn't go to the next verse, but if I did, you remember I stopped at verse 14. Verse 15 describes what happens. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every man hid themselves in caves and among the rocks and mountains. And they said, I'm in Revelation 6, 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? What are these people doing? They're cowering, aren't they? They're hiding. They're shuddering. They're in panic. They're trying to hide. They're so afraid. They said, just let the rocks cover us. Is that what you see in Joel chapter 3? We didn't read all this in between. I didn't have time. But if you do, what you find is just the opposite. Here, you have armies of men that are standing boldly ready to, to fight God. They're going to have Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet on their side, and now they're emboldened. There's going to be a battle. There's no battle taking place in Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. No armies, no battle. They're hiding here in Joel chapter 3, even though you have the same or at least the similar celestial disturbances. What is happening is completely different. Do you understand that? So, so far what I'm demonstrating is what we see at the sixth seal cannot be what we see in Joel chapter 3 because the circumstances are completely different. Moreover, as we're going to see, I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 16 and show you the sixth bowl judgment. The sixth bowl judgment is when all the, uh, the river Euphrates is going to be dried up and all these armies are going to amass in the valley of Armageddon. That's the sixth bowl judgment. That's seven trumpet judgments and five bowl judgments after the sixth seal. So it can't be, the sixth seal cannot be this, both time-wise nor circumstance-wise. Y'all got that? Okay. Now this really uh, is, is, is just preliminary to the biggie of where we're going to go. The next one that we were going to go to is in Matthew chapter 24. Go to Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27. Are y'all ready? Okay. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now the question, what coming is that? Is that the rapture or is that the second advent? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Look at the next verse. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Is that ringing? 
a note in you? Do you remember Luke chapter 17, verse 37? When Christ had just described to them that one will be at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left, one will be out in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. And in verse 37, they ask, where, Lord? In other words, where are they going to be taken? And you know what it says? He, he answered by saying, where the body is, in this case the corpse, there is the vulture. Saying the same thing right here. That, folks, is not talking about the rapture. That's not talking about the rapture here either. Now, here's the next point. I'm glad I, get, I can make this before I end. Verse 29, very next verse. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven be shaken. Those three, remember we looked at in, in Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal? Those parallel this, don't they? And that's why some people think, aha, the sixth seal is Matthew 24. What's going on in Matthew 24 is the same thing. But as we're going to see, it can't be the same thing. See, there are people who think that the rapture is going to occur at the sixth seal because they go to Matthew chapter 24 and see similar celestial disturbances. And they say, okay, we're talking about the midpoint of the tribulation. Of course, we're not. We're talking about here, the second advent. At the second advent, there are going to be celestial disturbances that are going to be very similar to what happens at the sixth seal. But it's not. The sixth seal is not the second advent. Because, as we'll see, when it talks about in verse 28, the vultures will gather. I think most of you already know that when... The sixth bowl judgment comes. The Euphrates River is dried up and all the armies march and they are in the valley of Armageddon. When Jesus Christ comes down, according to Revelation 19, He is going to destroy them with the sword out of His mouth. All He has to do is speak and they are destroyed. It says that they are going to be um, blood as high as a harsh bridle for 200 miles. But... Uh, Look at, just do this for me. Turn to Revelation 19. This is probably the last thing we have time for. At the, Revelation chapter 19. It just talked about Jesus Christ, what he's going to look like. His eyes were a flame, a flame of fire, and on his head were many diadems, and he had a name written on him which no one knew, and so forth, describing him. Verse 16 says, And on his robe and on his thigh he had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Y'all with me? Y'all see that? Now look at the very next verse. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble yourselves for the great supper of God in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. This is identified with where we go over here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 28. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 
That's talking about the great battle of Armageddon. And then you have these signs, which are the celestial disturbances that will take place there. See, Matthew 24, they talk about the celestial disturbances that will take place at the second advent. You don't see it in chapter 19 because it's already given in other places. Now, I have, next time, I'm going to have notes and I have graphs and I have, have it all very clear for you. And it'll be more easy for you to understand because you'll be able to see it. Are you beginning to connect, connect more dots now and see the great plan that God has in store? When Jesus Christ comes, can you imagine if you were one of the people in those arms? Well, it's impossible. We can't, we're believers. We couldn't be there. But if you, when your enemy comes and he says, he calls out to all, all you vultures, all you, get ready. You're about to have the feast of your life. Oh, I believe my knees would be knocking along about that time. And just as a corollary to that, when I did Israel Regathered, if you go back and look at that, one of the things that has developed in recent years in Israel is the unbelievable explosion of the population of vultures. There's so many vultures now in Israel that the Israeli pilots can't even fly in certain areas because there's so many of them. The great feast, you have the birds preparing already, I do believe. And uh, we're going to continue this. I, I just love to do this because the Bible is so intricately woven together in such harmonious way. When you see it, you just thank God. Only God can do that. That's what I said. There's areas they can't even fly in because the, the, the population of the vultures, you know what birds do to jet engines? They're not uh, uh, so great at that. Anyhow, I'm going to do that next time, but you've got kind of an overview and it'll be maybe fresh on your mind when we begin next time and you'll be able to understand why we believe what we believe and why we're not going to go through any part of the dark phase of the day of the Lord. Michael. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the whole world. Everybody, every unbeliever in the whole world is going to become uh, bird bait. Bird food. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, that's what's going to happen, right? <clears throat> No, it's going to, well, it, Armageddon is going to be the, the, the climax. I mean, if you were making a movie, that's where you'd want your cameras. This, this is where Satan and mankind is going to do their best to, to outfox God and to have it their way. That's going to be the most dramatic. But it's called the baptism of fire. And every unbeliever on earth, when Jesus Christ returns, is going to experience the... Um, Baptism of fire. How, but you know, there is, there is this also, though. Uh, when you get into Matthew 25, it talks about there are going to be those gathered who are going to, where God is going to take Israel 
And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That means believers from unbelievers. And maybe at that point is when unbelievers are going to croak. And then he's going to go to the Gentiles. And, he, and there he's going to deal with them and separate the believers from unbelievers. Some people even get mixed up and they think that is the rapture. can't be the rapture because he's going to deal with the Israel and some are going to, some are, well, there's so many differences. First of all, when he deals with the believers, they're going to live in their physical bodies on into the millennium. They're not going to be taken in a resurrection body anyway. And at the rapture, he's going to deal with all believers, whether you're Jew or Gentile. What's happening at Matthew chapter 25 when, when Jesus Christ is getting ready to set up his millennial kingdom and he's taking care of business, it can't be the rapture there for, uh, on, on so many counts. Am I, am I confusing y'all or y'all understand what I'm saying? Right. Well, he's coming down to earth. Everything is completely different. But you can see how someone can go to these celestial disturbances and can go to other places in the Bible, like in Matthew 12, chapter 24, and have the idea, ah, oh, well, this is, the, this is what is the Christ returning at the rapture. What's happening in, 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 in the sixth seal is what we see in Matthew 24 and what's happening in, in uh, Joel chapter 3. And I'm saying, no, everything is completely different. You cannot make it fit. And what, what follows, especially in Matthew 24 and in um, Matthew chapter, I mean, uh, uh, Luke chapter 17, is just the opposite of what's going to happen at the rapture. That's why God, uh, well, Jesus used the illustration of Noah and Lot because the order of events was that in that case it was the unbelievers who were taken and believers were left. In, in the sixth seal, it's just the opposite of what happens. But then when you go to Joel chapter uh, 17, verse 37, excuse me, Joel chapter, uh, uh, Luke 17, 37, you have the, who is it that's being taken? And where are they going? It's unbelievers and they're going into the realm of death and their bodies are going to be left for vultures. But the rapture, is there going to be anybody left? Any bodies? No, the bodies are going to be transformed and be with Christ. So we still have many dots to connect, but we're out of time. In fact, I'm over time. So let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to sort these things out. We're so thankful that your, your word harmonizes. And moreover, we're so thankful that we will not go through the dark part of the day of the Lord. That we will return with you at the second advent and you will defeat all of our enemies. And you will receive all the glory which is richly deserved. We pray that you will help us to contemplate these things. Sort them out in our souls where we'll have it straight so that we can boldly tell others how great our God is. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.